As you know, last Sunday, those of you who weren't here would not know this, uh, but we started a study in the book of Romans. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Romans, it's a great epistle of God written by the master builder, Paul, and is primarily concerned with the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. The epistles are written specifically for the churches and to the churches. The gospel record is for the world outside that they might be saved and the epistles to the church And this epistle is probably, of all the epistles, it's Paul's longest epistle, and it is pure logic from a great logician who studied under Gamaliel, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as he calls himself, and yet on Damascus Road, though he was persecuting the Christians, and having them slain, he was struck down by Jesus Christ. And then, upon his conversion, his whole life was given to the Lord. And as Galatians 1 says, a little further than when we read this morning, when God separated me from my mother's womb unto the gospel, So this man was God's great instrument in the writing of the New Testament. He wrote just about half of the New Testament, and his whole life, his whole purpose, Peter says concerning him that there are many hard things that Paul has written, and there are those that wrestle with these things to their own damnation. In other words, if we do not believe, and we have to say so in this day we're living in, because we're living in a tragic day. I don't know whether you, oh, I'm sure you read the papers and you watch your television and you do all the other things that everybody else does. But certainly as no day before, this is a tragic day that we're living in. Morals are as low or lower than they were in Rome. The character of our nation has declined steadily over these last years. If you read articles concerning the church, you find that the church in the United States, we have 207 million people, I believe now, that the church in the United States, which during the Second World War had reached a peak of nearly 60%, if you read your parade magazine, just this past week, has now fallen where in 1971 attendance at churches is 40% of the nation. This is the lowest that they can remember. This means that out of 207 million people, 80 million belong to churches 
It doesn't say they attend church every Sunday. You can easily see under those circumstances that if certain type votes were put up concerning the church, we might have some great difficulties. Where a vast majority do not go to church and do not care for the things of God or the things of Christ, certain questions may come up concerning the church as they did in Russia, as they did in China, and as they have in other nations where churches have finally been crushed by simple processes. My letter will speak a little about that, that you're going to get this week. But we're living in a day that speaks to us of a great need for us to come back to the great preachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ the godly president of, Wheaton, of uh, Princeton many years ago, Francis L. Patton, and this is quite a while ago, said this, the only hope of Christianity, now this may not sound like the Princeton today, the only hope of Christianity is the rehabilitating of the Pauline theology. It is back, 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 to an incarnate Christ in the atoning blood. Or it is on, on, on to atheism, despair, and the nation's fall. Prophetic words. Prophetic words. So, beloved, as we look into this glorious epistle, let us remember this day that we're living in. We're living in a day that's fraught with so many problems. I'm glad there's a, a revival amongst young people to the things of Christ, but they must also be very careful that they are in the, the type groups that really exalt Christ in a glorious way. For there are many groups abroad today that I would dread my young people ever to get in. I think of some of them before I just stopped here on the epistle itself. I think of some of the groups that I would dread my son or my daughter ever to get into, such as the way which merely teaches that Jesus Christ was a great teacher of divine things, but not the divine Son of God, not the only means of salvation for mankind. Or the children of God, who have torn out a portion of Scripture and made it, may I say this, any group, and I say this very clearly, any group that takes one verse of Scripture and makes it the base of everything that they believe is doing despot to the Word of God. The whole counsel of God is for us, from the beginning to the end. But this group, the children of God, I had a mother call me, not from our church, from a church not too far from us here, and she told me, she said, Pastor, would you please pray for me? She said, I don't come to your church, 
and I've heard you preach, and I know what you believe, but my son has joined the children of God and has told his father and myself that he hates us and loves only Jesus. She asked him, where did you ever get such teaching? And he said to her, and I have the article that I cut out on it that had nothing to do with him, but has primarily to do with the group itself. They use a portion over in Luke 14.26, where it says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. I feel sorry that uh, they don't look any further than a thing like this. The King James Version is a very poor translation of what the Word of God really has to say here. Had they looked it up in any concordance, which shows that they do not have much to go on. Had they looked to Strong's Concordance, which is for the strong, Young's is for the young, I won't mention Cruden's, but Strong's Concordance has this to say, that the word hate is better translated love-less. Not loveless, love-less. If any man does not love his mother and father, and his sister and brother, less than he loves Jesus Christ, he cannot be my disciple. Yet this whole group that is sweeping the country has taught this to them, and if I read you the article, maybe some of you read it, some of the things in it, their leader, his bombastic way as a leader, they are subject to the leaders as the lords. It says they are to be disciplines of revolution, absolute obedience to them that have the rule over you. Sacrifice, suffering, persecution, and even martyrdom may be your portion. You must obey implicitly, quickly, and without question your offices in the Lord. And this is the group that many have joined. Now this is a translation, this is the Eastern text, the Aramaic. This is what some believe was one of the first written. Most scholars believe the Greek, but some believe that the Aramaic was the first. They believe that this is that which Jesus used, Aramaic. And in this portion, listen how it is translated. Isn't it strange how kids get a thing like this? He who comes to me and does not put aside his father, and this is published way back, this is not some new book, 30, 40 years ago, 
does not put aside his father and his mother and his brothers and sisters and his wife and his children and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, if the family objects to a young man being a disciple of Jesus Christ, if the family, the father and the mother, and the boy has come of age or the girl has come of age to go forth and to proclaim the riches of Jesus Christ, then there must be a putting aside. They have reached manhood and womanhood, and then they go forth for Jesus Christ. But the translation hate has been the translation which they've accepted, and that has caused such divisions in families that mothers' and fathers' hearts are broken. And if there's one thing God has said, it is that we are to what? Honor our fathers and our mothers. Now, I only mention that in passing because I think it is a thing that some of our young people have to make a choice of. They live in communal relationships. They live in communes where they go and go to the supermarkets and take all the dregs that they have to eat. They implicitly go after the merchants in the villages and send letters to mothers and fathers whom they hate to send money to them so they can live. And beloved, this is not of God. And I mention this because Paul is going to deal with false doctrines. He was called and separated unto the gospel of God. And the gospel of God has no such teaching. We should know that. It should be apparent to us. God is love. He loves us with a love that is consuming. But he also has a wrath that is as a consuming fire upon those that obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it's hard when I, when I see these things The whole, the whole situation, may I say this, the whole situation crushes my soul. How many of you are really conscious of what goes on? I turned on the television for a few minutes last night. And I think everybody in this place should write the television stations and say what they believe. I don't know whether you've noticed it, but I've noticed it. It used to be that they confined some of their foul language to the later hours. But you will notice now that foul language is used in the earlier hours when children are watching television. Some programs are utterly vulgar that are on at 7, 7.30 and 8 o'clock. And this kind of trash our young people have to listen to the filth, the degeneracy, X-pictures now, X-rated films will be on television this week. Never before has that happened. But slowly, they are getting into every phase, every area. And it's a crushing experience to see what's happening. And yet, it seems that by and large, the television companies claim they're getting no objections. 
I would write CBS, I would write NBC, and I would object to the type languages used at any hour, but especially in those hours when young children are sitting before television sets. And beloved, I think that it's up to us as Christians to do those things that we feel are needful to preserve our own children. This gospel that we're reading about in Paul is a great gospel of salvation, of the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. But not only does it cleanse us from all sin, it's to give us the great power of the indwelling Holy Spirit within our breast. And I want to tell you, if you are a born-again Christian this morning, and you can sit in front of your television set, and you can listen to the tripe and the trash that comes over it, and there's no grieving heart within you about what you're hearing, and you don't object to it at all, beloved, I question as to the Holy Spirit's presence within you. If you can read filthy books, if you can look at pornography, if you can have them in your home, if you can leave them in a position to contaminate your children, how can you claim Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, and your life? For we say so glibly, is no longer we that live, but Christ who lives in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. I can assure you it is not the good pleasure of the Lord for you to be involved in any of these areas. And so as we come to this glorious epistle written by Paul, oh, may God open our hearts to see what it means to be called of God, to be separated unto God. That's what it tells us right off. Paul lets us know he's separated unto God. He's called by God. And beloved, what happened to Paul happened to me and happens to every single one of you. It may happen in a special way to some of us when we are called to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If our pulpits in this land, beloved, were filled this morning with those who really loved Christ, if every preacher of the so-called gospel of God that we're going to read about, if in every pulpit they were preaching his dear son and the salvation wrought on the cross of Calvary, if everyone was separated unto God, read that first verse of, of Romans 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called not to be, that's in italics, that's not in the original, called an apostle. The Greek New Testament would have it called apostle. An apostle called of God to make it clear that the calling, he was not invited at some time. He was called an apostle. And as I said last week, if you are not an apostle when you are called, you're not an apostle. The seminaries are not turning out preachers of the word of God, or a few here and there. But it is getting more and more difficult to recommend Christian colleges, to recommend Christian seminaries for our young people. There are so few that are giving forth 
the pure word of God and the gospel of salvation, that it's difficult to even get to recommend schools anymore. But Paul was called apostle, a called apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, it says here. And there, as John Murray says and others, it should be separated unto God's good news, good news of the gospel. And beloved, there seems to be that in this world we're living in, there's little good news anymore. The good news of the gospel. You look about you and you wonder, where is uh, this good news that we're supposed to proclaim to a dying world? Why, the missionary programs of the churches have fallen apart. Do you know that the Presbyterian church in the last five years has declined in its missionary giving 25%. The Episcopal church, 33 and one-third percent. The average giving to missions in the largest body in Protestantism in the United States outside of the Baptists is two and one-half percent of their giving. And that is the Methodist Church. Two and one-half percent, two and one-half cents out of every dollar is all that goes to the preaching of the gospel, that to which Paul was called, that to which we are separated, Oh, that we might understand what it means to be separated unto God, that we understand who God is, that it is God who hath made us, not we ourselves. And he made us for one divine purpose. He didn't place the earth in orbit. He didn't place the stars in orbit. He didn't make this little planet we live on to build our corporations, to have our nations, to have our wars, to have our sin, and to enjoy ourselves and have a ball upon the face of the earth. He put the earth here and brought his son here for one purpose and one only, and that is it to get a family for himself. And when he's through, he'll wipe it away. That's the only purpose. Certainly it wasn't meant, to, uh, meant for men to accumulate large estates, to originate great businesses. We must see God for what he is and what he did and how he brought forth the earth and why he brought forth the earth, and placed man created in his own image upon it, and knew that the fall would come, and in the councils of eternity past, had set forth the coming of his precious son, Jesus Christ, shall shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, so that everyone that believeth on the Son hath life, and shall never come into condemnation, but has already passed from death unto life, for I give unto them eternal life, Jesus says, and they shall never perish, and neither shall anyone pluck them out out of my hand, and when it's all passed away, those of us who've been separated unto God and unto the gospel of his dear Son, for the gospel of God in the first verse, and then there's a parenthesis, and in the third verse, it says the gospel of God concerning his Son, Jesus Christ. 
And when it's all gone, when it's all wiped away, what a joy it will be for families, for mothers and fathers and for children who've really loved the Lord Jesus, who've been awake to a dying world, who've loved their husbands beyond all the loves for everything else, who love wives beyond their love for everything else, but have loved Jesus above it all and have yearned for but one thing, that their families might be in Jesus Christ. So that when that great question comes to our hearts, are all the children in? You as a mother and you as a father might be able to say, yes, thank God, they're in. Now, I don't know whether you can say that this morning. It's, it's difficult. Maybe you don't think some of the children are in. Well, don't you dare stop praying. And don't you dare give up. Some of your older mothers and fathers, you have a daughter, a son, or a grandson, and you're wondering, how can God ever save him? I want to tell you, I wonder how God ever saved Paul after he'd been murdering Christians. Don't you wonder how God ever saved a Peter who would deny Christ and curse him? He can save anyone. Don't you ever dare give up. You keep right on praying. And you pray believing. Let not that man that wavers in his prayers think that he shall receive anything from God. You'll not get a thing. Don't you dare waver in your prayers. Believe that God's going to do mighty things. And if he separated you unto God, he's also going to separate those children you love unto God. Do you believe it? God will do it. according to the intensity of your prayers. For the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I take from that that the ineffectual, poor prayer of a righteous man would get little. It says you'll get much if it's effectual, if it's fervent. God, give us fervency in our prayers. If I would ask this congregation to honestly stand on your feet, the last time you prayed fervently to God and stayed there for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes or a half hour, and if necessary, by yourself in your prayer closet, you cried your heart out and the tears came from your eyes and wet the bed or the chair wherever you were kneeling before God, we'd be amazed of the few who could ever rise to their feet and say that I've ever been fervent for my own children, I have to admit, my child, I'm not sure, is in Christ. And I've never even wept a tear for their souls. Though God says, they that sow with tears shall reap with joy. We better get down to business. Are you separated unto God, really? Have you been called of God? Called of God? 
to this glorious gospel of God, God's gospel, God's good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, the blood, the atonement for sin. You see yourself as a sinner. You can't help but see it. You know your thinking. You know your deeds. You know your imaginations. You know everything about yourself. And there's not a soul in this place or a soul in the world that could ever come to me and honestly say, I've never imagined a thing that's unclean. I've never said a thing that's impure. And I've never done anything wrong. Because you'd be a liar. For he that saith he hath no sin is a liar. God said. And so you need the salvation that there is in Jesus Christ. May I say this? We're not separated unto God to be reformers. We're not separated unto God to reform this nation. We are separated unto God concerning His Son, Jesus Christ. And as we are born again, as we become regenerate, then we can proclaim this gospel to others that they may be saved. Because you'll never get a regenerate nation until you have a regenerate people. With a nation of unregenerate people, which we have, what do you expect? Do you expect the newsstands to be pure? Do you expect the recordings to be beautifully pure? Do you expect the movie scenes and the moving pictures to be wonderfully pure? In an unregenerate society, we're getting what an unregenerate society will always get. Decadence, despair, decay. And Jesus told us that in the last days, wickedness should increase on the earth and violence should be prevalent. And we've got it in our society. Every young person knows it. Every older person knows it. I speak the truth. And it's only as we come to the God who made us and recognize ourselves as sinners before God and say, Lord, save me. Cleanse me in the blood of the Lamb. Make me pure. Jesus Christ died for sinners. He died for me. Lord, separate me from all of this unto the gospel that is thine concerning your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for me and rose again for my justification. Justification, what a glorious word. He rose again, the scripture says, for our justification. Justification, meaning just as if I had not sinned. Oh, I can almost feel the warmth of God just coming down and just flowing over me, don't you? Just as if I had... God, how is it possible? Father, you could only do it because of Jesus. So the gospel of God concerns his son who paid the penalty of death and suffered death for every man, Hebrews says, that he might bring us to God. And then give us the Holy Spirit that we might have the power to live the separated life unto God's gospel. 
That's what you have to experience. Are you saved this morning? Do you really love Christ? When I speak of these things, do you say, Oh, praise God, I'm cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. Have you ever sat in a chair or just been alone, even on the subway? I don't care. And you basked in the love of God. The whole world is around you, but it's gone. Jesus' love is just flowing down into your soul through the Holy Spirit. And you say, Lord, wonder of wonders, wonder of wonders, you save me. But then, Lord, Paul said, I am the least of all the saints and the chief of sinners. And I say it to you too, Lord. Thank you for saving me, cleansing me in the blood of the Lamb. That's salvation. That's salvation. Let us pray. Now, Father, we thank thee for thy precious word this morning. Lord, touch the hearts of all here. May be that someone's come in without Jesus. They'd like to say yes to the Lord right now. I won't ask you to come forward. Just put your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I see the world has no S. I see your hand. Praise God. Yes. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. I hardly finished the sentence. I really want Christ in my heart as my personal Savior. There's no answer to this world's problems outside of Jesus. And he said, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him, him will I confess before my Father in heaven. Do you want to confess him this morning? You've never done it before. Just put that hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me anywhere to join these. Just put it high so I see it and then take it down. Anywhere. You've never really come to Jesus as your personal Savior. Anyone else? Quickly. Just put that hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, I see your hand, son. God bless you, young man. Praise God. Anyone else? Don't be shy or timid with Jesus. This is it. No one's looking at you. No one's looking around. It's only God looking down, saying, put the hand up. Put that hand up for me and say, I believe on you as my Savior, Lord. Anyone quickly to join these who've already raised their hand? Yes, I see your hand. Lord bless you. Praise God. Anyone else? Put your hand up high. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Quickly. Quickly. Are you thinking to yourself, I should put mine up? Shove it up, beloved. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Put your hand up high and say, Here, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus in my soul as my Savior. Young woman, young man, father, mother, grandfather, grandmother, anyone else, put that hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. Anywhere, quickly. Just a moment as I close. Just put it up high so I'll see it, and we'll pray together. Anyone? Quickly, just a moment as I close now. Don't hesitate. This is your opportunity to come to Jesus. Now, Father, we do thank thee for these many who've raised their hands for Jesus Christ this morning. Surely thy Holy Spirit has spoken. And Lord, we would pray that you'd bless their lives. And if that confession of faith that was just indicated by the hand is real, 
We know that the Holy Spirit has entered that body and made that body the temple of God. Oh, it may not be some very exciting feeling within the breast, but to know that God promised that when we took Jesus as Savior, he would give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, bless these, and we pray that their lives will really shine for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.